Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. With one vacancy and others likely on the horizon, the Supreme Court is on many voters' minds. We're talking today about how the court does and should influence our politics. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode, guys. Before we get started, we just want to ask you to leave us a review on iTunes, uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or check out our website where we um, have some new blog posts up, and you can also become a subscriber to the show. So I thought we would cover, Sarah, today in the Pearls, things happening beyond the presidential election, because there's been a lot of that, and I feel like it's getting lost. So did you see this story about the FBI thwarting an attempt to attack an apartment complex in Kansas? Yeah, I found it very disturbing, but I'm not sure if it's beyond the election necessarily. I think they're sort of related, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm just trying to not say certain names, at least for the pearls today. (laughs) Are you going full Michelle Obama today? I'm doing my very best. So uh, this militia calls itself the Crusaders. Three men, 47, 49, and 49. 
plan to fill four trucks with explosives and park those trucks at the corners of the apartment complex. Now, they chose this apartment complex because about 120 Somali immigrants live there, and it's been reported that they use one apartment in the complex as a mosque. It took eight months of FBI work and an undercover agent attending militia meetings, which can you imagine getting that assignment? Oh. So anyway, the FBI uncovered this, though. One of the men involved had previously been arrested for domestic violence, continuing a theme that we've discussed before on the show. This part of Kansas apparently has a number of meatpacking factories, and so it has attracted immigrants because of the jobs available in those factories. So I know that this is horrible, and we could choose to look at it as how horrible it is, and it is. But I also think, like, good job, FBI. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. Yeah, it's a good reminder that our law enforcement works extremely hard, follows all these threads. So, I, you know, I found at least encouraging the fact that they did this, that we know they did it. It gives gives me some comfort, at least. Well, and you just, this one made the news. There's so many times they prevent attacks, and we don't know that. Exactly. And so all we remember are the attacks that happened, and... I mean, truthfully, we haven't had a, you know, a large-scale mass attack on the level of September 11th since September 11th, and that is a testament to our law enforcement. Absolutely. Unlike the situation that we have in the United States, this is too commonplace in the Middle East, and on Saturday, more than 35 people died and more than 60 people were injured in a suicide bombing in Baghdad. There was a militant wearing a vest, and the militant detonated a bomb during lunchtime in a crowded marketplace. ISIS took credit for that. There was also an attack in Mala, Iraq, and the shooting of a local commander's wife and three children elsewhere. Those attacks have not been uh, determined to be an ice, you know, at the at the hands of ISIS or not. But this is all coming as Iraqi forces are planning to mount an offensive in Mosul, the last ISIS stronghold in Iraq. And I believe that started today on Sunday. So um, there's a lot going on in Iraq. It continues to be a, a really sad situation for civilians there who are just enduring the consequences of all of this conflict. Yeah, it's truly terrible. So we also wanted to talk about that on Friday, a Connecticut judge dismissed the claims of the families of Sandy Hook victims against the manufacturer of the gun used by Adam Lanza. The families of the victims had filed a claim against Remington, um, and the judge ruled that the gun was used in connection with the criminal act, so the manufacturer was protected by the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. Not a particular surprise, but probably worth mentioning because it's hard to imagine this case not reaching the Supreme Court. I'm also okay if they just want to, you know, undo that law. I'd be cool with that. Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder if something gets made of this at the congressional level. And if not, if it reaches the Supreme Court, whether the court takes the case, uh, it, you know, this could be a, a flashpoint in the judiciary as it's been in the legislature as well. And the final thing we should talk about is this craziness at Wells Fargo. So last week, the chairman and CEO resigned, and it has come out that Wells Fargo employees under pressure to meet aggressive sales goals created fake accounts using real people's names and money without their permission. And then some of these people who had accounts and money moved around that they didn't know about found out because they started paying fees for these accounts that they didn't request. And 
This happened at least two million times over five years, but there are former employees who said that they started raising these concerns like 11 years ago. So there's no telling. I mean, when you incentivize new accounts, what exactly do you think is going to happen? But how could something on this scale go unnoticed? Oh, it was noticed. People just didn't do anything about it because they wanted the money. I, th- I think this is insane. Wells Fargo is paying $185 million in fines and penalties. And John Kasich stepped up to say, we will not, as a state of Ohio, be doing business with you anymore, Wells Fargo, because you have lost your moral compass. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, so do you want to compliment the other party before we move on to talking about the Supreme Court? You start. Okay. I am going to compliment Joe Schiavone. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. He's the Senate Minority Leader in the state of Ohio. And he introduced a bill to combat cyberbullying that I thought was sort of interesting. He's basically saying to schools, if you have ideas about preventing bullying outside of school, you can apply for grant money to carry that idea forward. And he's proposed setting aside $4 million for that purpose. People who've written about this say it's very unlikely for that bill to get through the Senate, but I think it's an interesting idea, and I'm happy that someone is thinking about this and taking sort of the new challenges around bullying that we're experiencing to the level of, like, what should we as a state legislature be encouraging? So I don't know that this is exactly the right idea. I have no idea whether $4 million is the right number, but I love that he's paying attention to this because I do think it's a pretty serious issue. Yeah, and always listening to the people on the ground actually dealing with it is a good idea. Exactly. So I want to compliment two people, not elected officials, but two Republicans that Beth and I went to college with, um, Brian Jewell and Brent Legg. Brian Jewell was sort of my nemesis at Transy. I was super liberal. He was like, you know, if he was like Beth, only more conservative, and we were less nuanced about it. <laughs> we were both on the newspaper together, and we wrote a lot of sort of warring editorials I'm not disrespectful, just very strongly worded disagreements. And both Brian and Brent have written really um, great uh, Facebook posts in the past week or so, specifically just saying as Christian men of conscience that they cannot support Donald Trump and that they, Brian in particular, feels that it is damaging to... um, sort of the the post he wrote was this damaging to one's Christian witness to um, support Donald Trump. Just very strongly worded, um, but well laid out appeals based on their faith. And I just really respect both of them. You know, both of them made the point that it is also not in their faith to vote for Hillary Clinton. That's fine. I disagree with that. But I just thought that they were um, well thought out and thoughtful and sincere and appreciated both of their perspectives. I mean, that's fine and all, but, like, you violated my rule completely about the pearls. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm struggling this week. I know we want to be reasonable and we talk about out the outside world, but I have struggles. I've had so many conversations in which just my fundamental understanding of people and how they function has been questioned. I think I just thought 
well, everyone cares about the sexual assault of women. And once we really put that in a forefront, talk about it in a real way, we can deal with it honestly and not necessarily in a partisan way. You know, I'm not asking anybody to vote for Hillary Clinton based on what Donald Trump said, but it's just been so upsetting how many people are like, meh, it happens, who cares? Or no, misogyny is really bad, but we have more pressing issues. I mean, I had a friend, my friend who's running for mayor, a voter tell her, well, all men talk like that. And if they didn't, I wouldn't vote for them. And it just makes me want to crawl in a hole. Are you in the hole? Are you still there? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just trying to think about, like, I think that it has been a, it has been a difficult 18 months. It's been a particularly, particularly difficult four weeks or so. And with every new revelation, you know, the struggle for me as a person who doesn't want to vote for either of the major party nominees is that I am as a woman really invested in the idea that we cannot have another president. And I'll say another, look, I recognize, and this is what I hear from people too. This is not new, right? Donald Trump would not be the first misogynist in the Oval Office. He probably Mm. is one in a long line of them. I get it. I get it. I cannot stand that here in 2016, we would add to that legacy intentionally Mm. and with full knowledge, right? I also understand that people prioritize different issues when casting their votes. And at the same time, you know, I, I read about the, what sounds like almost like a quid pro quo offer from a member of Hillary Clinton's team to an FBI records guy saying, Hey, can you declass, can you change the classification of this information? And I know that nobody wants to hear that, right? Like all of our listeners eyes roll back in their heads when I bring up, a problem on the Clinton side. And then we get into this whole equivalency thing and it just wears me out. And I think what that tells me about human nature to meet your point, Sarah, instead of going off on a tangent, which was definitely not my intention, is that by this point in the cycle, we are all so wearing our feelings about the candidates and about the topics that have come up in the election. And I say topics deliberately, not issues, because God knows there haven't been any of those that we just can't hear each other anymore. Right. And we can't process anything that doesn't really align with where we are. And I think the, I think that happens in every election, but the problem that you're bringing to the forefront rightly is that in this election, it just feels more personal as women. It just does. Well, and here is here is my current where I am currently. I agree that this has been a bad race. Exhausting primary, disturbing and exhausting up until this point. General. I agree that the coverage of Hillary Clinton and the constant WikiLeak trickle of her emails um, is exhausting and that Hillary Clinton is not a perfect candidate. But what I feel in the last week is not it is that Donald there's with Donald Trump in particular with Donald Trump, there's just like this acceleration and he seems there seems to be some sort of 
meltdown happening. And as he become, I mean, becomes more vicious and more outraged and pushing this rigged election and rigged system, and you have people at his rallies openly telling members of the press that they hope someone shoots Hillary Clinton and mocking the press and calling for violence and you have people plotting violence against immigrants and it's just it's re it's reaching this fevered pitch and where I have people I love and respect supporting like saying I don't care if he talks about sexually assaulting women there are more important things it just it's just getting I'm worried I'm worried about what's going to happen on election day and after election day because it just feels like we're building up to something terrible. And I don't mean worried that Donald Trump is going to win. I don't think Donald Trump is going to win. But I'm worried about what happens when he doesn't. I'm worried about it, too. And I'm worried about just the way we talk about these things. And I'm worried about the calls for Clinton's assassination from some Donald Trump supporters. I'm also worried about the fact that today we just learned that a North Carolina GOP um, headquarters was bombed and there was like mm-hmm. writing on it saying Nazi Republicans get out of here. I mean, it's from both sides. I mean, and that's surprising to me, to be honest with you, to be perfectly frank, I am surprised to hear that. Yeah. And, and that and we, it's still an investigation. We don't really know who was responsible either. Right. Right. Nobody knows who's responsible yet. And then instead of us being able to just step back and say like, Whoa, everybody needs to take a breath Immediately, Donald Trump tweets that, like, animals did this. I mean, it's just awful Because language. I'm winning. It's awful. Oh. And, and we got this email from someone who I've really valued as a listener because I think she gives us great insight very often, saying, basically, I can't listen to your show, at least until the election's over, because I have made the decision with a very heavy and sad heart that I have to support Donald Trump. I just think he is the better of the two bad options. And, and I'm really sad to get that email. And then I go into this period of reflection about, I don't ever want to be a space that someone who I think is really thinking through the issues and really trying to engage responsibly as a voter feels uncomfortable or called out or mocked or something. You know what I mean? And so You've said a million times that, like, we wanted to do nuance and then here comes this election and it is it is just really trying and it's it's uncomfortable and it's sad. And and I don't I don't know how to feel when I zoom out because I'm bringing so much baggage in terms of my feelings about feminism to the last couple of weeks. You know, I'm I'm trying to stay reasonable and balanced and to have some understanding of positions of people who don't agree with me but like I'm struggling well and here's the thing I I should have complimented Mike Pence when we complimented the other side today because I have a great amount of respect for the fact that he's come out and said we will honor the results of this election and that he is desperately trying to give some credence to the bedrock of our American democracy which is peaceful transfer of power Good for him. Now, that being said, Mike Pence is not running for president. And he is supporting the person that is threatening that. And 
for me, it's just, it's gone past partisanship for me. I don't care. I, I have literally encouraged people to vote for Evan McMullen. I've said, how about Gary Johnson? Because I understand that people cannot, in good conscience, vote for Hillary Clinton. And I would not ask them to violate their conscience for, by voting for her. That's fine. I have no moral or ethical dilemma with your problems, ethical, spiritual, religious, or otherwise, with Hillary, certain positions that Hillary Clinton holds. That's fine. God bless you. But my nuanced position is now <laughs> that while I accept that and I'm fine with that and I have no moral or ethical problem with that, I cannot in good conscience say that I have no moral or ethical problem with your vote for Donald Trump because I do. Because I think that there is more at stake. Because I think that when you continue to support someone who brags about sexual assault, who supports racist, ethnic nationalist, who whistle calls, dog whistles, anti-Semites, and who threatens the very bedrock of our democracy, I, I have to draw a line. I don't think you're a bad person. I think that you may have carefully thought about that position, but I have to say that I have an ethical problem with that. And that doesn't mean I have to insult you, but I, I, ha I have to draw the line in the sand somewhere. You know, like, we can be civil about it and we can have a discourse about why you feel like that, but I... I just don't know what else to do. I think that there's, this is abnormal. We are in an abnormal election cycle and there's something going on here. And I'm sure there will be football fields worth of histories written about it. But I, I don't know what else to do at this point. Yeah, and I get myself all tied up in knots too about the fact that I've really taken more of a turn in my own thinking about this because of the comments about women and how uh, that is like the definition of being like a white feminist, right? Because yeah, why wasn't I here earlier? Mm. <laughs> you know, because Donald Trump has insulted every uh, racially or ethnically diverse group in our country since he started talking. And again, I understand, kind of, I kind of understand, and I'm really trying to understand more, still prioritizing other issues and still saying, look, for me, I don't like either option, but this is the option I'm going with. Because going with an Evan McMullen or a Gary Johnson is effectively going for, is effectively conceding a Clinton presidency, right? That's that's where those folks are. That's the response to what you just said. And we've talked that issue to death and people believe what they believe about it. And it's not my business to decide what they should believe. But I am for myself realizing that my reaction about the women's issues has been disproportionate when you think about what's been said about other groups and that requires i think some work on my part just personally and and that's the thing about this election right it just at this point in the cycle commentators and journalists can continue doing what they do but it is very very personal for everyone in some way mm -hmm. now well because what i thought about is like you might not feel 
that what Donald Trump says about other races or about women is right. You might not agree with those statements. But for me, even if you aren't racist or you don't feel like you are a misogynist, then you're still saying that's not important enough to be a deal breaker. And to me, that is racist and that is misogynist to say, as someone said to me, well, it doesn't take precedent for me. Well, the fair and equal treatment of me or my friends of other races or my Jewish friends is not something that I can excuse. It, it, it just isn't. And I, like I said on the show, I don't think that makes you a bad person, but I can't, I can't excuse it. I can't excuse it in the name of nuance or civil discourse or anything else. I, I just can't. I can't. So that's where I'm at. And it's so depressing <laughs> and, and frustrating. And because I do, I want so desperately. And, and I guess where I'm at is that it doesn't mean I won't still try to understand where you're coming from. But in a desire to to try to understand where you're coming from, I still can't refuse to take what I feel is a, a moral and ethical stand. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. 
looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life, Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I thought, Sarah, that we might kick it off with 538 because I prepared this outline just for you. So 538 said, if Donald Trump is elected president, the Supreme Court may seat by vacated seat move rightward toward its most conservative position in recent memory. If Hillary Clinton is elected, the court may quickly become the most liberal it's been in at least 80 years. Yeah, probably since the Warren Court, don't you think? I think so. And so here we oh, are. Warren if Court. If you are wondering why this election is polarizing. But you know what bugs me about that? That You know, here's what bugs me about that. Um, And I'm a person who cares about the, the composition of the Supreme Court. But it's like, if this is why we're voting, if this is the sole reason you're voting, then hell, why don't we just vote for the Supreme Court? Why don't we just acknowledge that it's that all we care is that the politics of the court, which fun fact, one of the most liberal, constant liberal votes recently was Souter, who was a vote appointed by a Republican president. But whatevs. But like, you know, why are we it just it, that sort of bugs me. It bugs me that that would be a deal breaker for people. I also don't think the conservative court. It's just going to change things on the edges, y'all. Don't get excited about some sort of revolution coming from the Supreme Court. Well, I get that there's skepticism to what you just said in that the Supreme Court gave us Roe versus Wade. The Supreme Court gave us um, the decision that made gay marriage constitutional and or acknowledged the unconstitutionality of laws forbidding gay marriage. So, you know, the court from time to time does groundbreaking stuff. And I know the Second Amendment is That's on true. people's minds, and and there are there are big things that come out of the Supreme Court. That said, I really hate the presumption that the court is always going to split based on party lines. Like that's that's not what the court's supposed to be about. And I I touched on in the primary, and it judicial... doesn't. Like I said, it doesn't always work out that way. Right. I mean, the Affordable Care Act decision is a great example from the past term. I said in the primer a little bit about judicial activism and judicial restraint, and I feel like those terms get thrown around without any reference to, like, consistent principles. It's just basically, if I'm a politician and I like the decision, it was ju- it was a judicial restraint decision, right? The court just properly applied the law. And if I think the decision's horrible, it was judicial activism. And that's true whether I'm conservative or liberal, right? And I I wish that we could just get out of the mud on that, because I think the caliber of person who gets appointed to the Supreme Court for the for the vast majority of the time is going to do what they honestly believe is correct. Legally. 
Yeah, because I don't think it's about... Um, I think it's less about their feelings about judicial activism because they're all willing to be a judicial activist when it aligns with their sort of way of interpreting mean, Scalia. You know what I mean? Like, it's more about how they interpret the Constitution than about how they interpret the role of judges, I guess is what I'm saying. I agree with that. And I think I have more institutional trust about this because I went to law school and you get this sense of how scholarly people become about the court mm-hmm. and the court's cases and and how much credence even just your like average lawyer puts in really arcane procedural issues. You know, it's like it becomes very important to everyone. And I know the legal system has its problems and everyone's had interactions and and we have all these like slimy lawyer jokes out there. But I don't know. I guess I'm very Pollyanna about this because I think that people really do try to do what's right and really do get how serious this is. Yeah. I mean, I when I was in law school, I saw we had a... Um, Pan- well, it's not really a panel. It's just two people. A conversation. And it was Justice Scalia and Justice Breyer, two opposite ends of the spectrum. And it was just so fascinating to hear their perspectives and their sort of polite disagreement. I mean, listen, listen, y'all. The Supreme Court lives in nuance. They just, like, swim around in it together all day long like friends in the swimming pool. So, no, it's like a totally different ballgame there. So Hillary Clinton has not put out sort of a list like Donald Trump has. There's some speculation that she might stay with Merrick Garland, that Amy Klobuchar and Cory Booker could be on her short list, a number of other federal court judges, and not surprisingly, a fairly diverse group of people. Uh, Trump's list is much less diverse and is kind of balanced between state and federal judges. And it was described by, I think this is 538 as well, as conservative, yes, but with a contrarian or anti-establishment streak. Practically no judges from East or West Coast. Um, Heavy on state judges, which might reflect a populist orientation, given that state judges are usually elected and federal judges are appointed. So, um, you know, (laughs) we'll see what happens. I think... That well, you know what liberals talk about all the time. I do. That she's going to appoint uh, one Mr. Barack Obama. That's always sort of the the conversation I hear over and over again. And I could see her doing that. I th- I would have said no way like a year ago, but his approval ratings are so high so now. So high. Well, and you know why that is, right? Like when we look at these two options, everybody goes, "Yeah, he's amazing." <laughs> <laughs> and, and I do think that Michelle Obama's recent um, speeches have bolstered his popularity. I mean, the family continues to be more and more a dignified, like, shining example of what's good in America as a family. Even if you disagree with him on everything politically, they've just carried the White House so nicely. Yeah. You know, I thought Samantha, this is totally unrelated to the Supreme Court, but Samantha B did a funny thing where she, she gave... And it was so true, and she put these pictures up, and I was like, man, she's right, about it was George Bush and Laura and their two girls and Barack Obama and Michelle and their two girls, and she was like, look, we have had two good Christian, upstanding, caring husbands, and you are not dragging us back. <laughs> like, It's so true. We've gotten so used to them. Like, they were both such, listen, George Bush is not my favorite, but such a good, caring, devoted husband, both of them, and it's been so nice to, like, just not worry about that part of everything. 
And two families who really have just had a lot of dignity about the office. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can just see how how important it's been to them to carry themselves in, in a way that sort of befits the office to say something that sounds very... But back know. to the Supreme Court. So, <laughs> so what are your thoughts on constitutional interpretation, Beth? I'm intrigued. Yeah, so I am... I would not say that I am like a Scalia conservative, although I have always enjoyed reading his opinions because well, the that's because they're write. entertaining. They are. The, the <laughs> man can write. He can turn a phrase. Yeah. Um, Could I think that from my perspective, I worry about the Constitution as a living document because that is so open to interpretation. To be honest with you, I think my problem is never really with the court. It's with the legislatures and the executives who don't do their jobs and we get cases going to the Supreme Court that should never be there. You know, I hate that we have legislatures that just put whatever you think about Roe versus Wade, it's been decided. And for me, judicial restraint is this has been decided. It's off the table now. It's done. And so I hate that we have state legislatures just pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope and trying to get workarounds and hoping for a more conservative court that might start to roll that back. That is not conservative in my view. And I hate the idea that we have people trying, legislatures trying to push the constitutionality um, around the Second Amendment. Like, we have, we have a body of case law. The lines are pretty well drawn. And I feel like it's just become this game in a way that ignores the fact that, yes, the Supreme Court is supposed to uphold the Constitution, but everybody else takes that oath, too. So yeah. is the president. So are members of Congress. And I feel like the court has become, and I'll, I'll use a conservative talking point here and say a super legislature, but that's because nobody else is doing their job. We ought to wrestle more with these issues and be more careful, even where policies that we're really committed to are at stake. So I never, I mean, you're right. The Supreme Court swims in nuance. By the time a case makes its way there, they're often confronted with a lot of really poor options. And the decision not to take a case, usually, you know, I don't know, usually that ends up being a policy choice as well. You could say, like, they should just stay out of it, but the Ninth Circuit didn't or whatever. And so there is a policy decision on the table. So what are they going to do? So I don't know if that's a nuanced opinion or just an exasperated one, but that's where I am. Well, I, not surprisingly fully on board with the constitution as a living document carmen esposito had a really funny tweet a while back where she said i'm assuming since women and minorities were not involved in the writing of the constitution it will need updating from time to time (laughs) which i love and what i really because you know i'm reading hamilton the biography right now and what's so what sort of what i think about a lot is the idea that like the founding fathers and their intent is just oh this thing we should revere they fought like cats and dogs and p.s we had the articles of the confederate articles of the confederate confederacy what were those called the first ones yeah the confederacy articles of the confederacy i mean they screwed it up and went back to the drawing board and rewrote it them the founding fathers the guys who we think are so infallible so like it's just so funny to me and i think that if any i think there is a very strong argument we talked about at fox a lot like if anything the problem is that it is too difficult to change 
um, and that we can't adapt to, you know, changes within our systems and um, just deal with bad laws. So I think that, uh, you know, I'm ready for a more, you know, I hope obviously that Hillary Clinton wins that we get more liberal justices because I think that particularly with regards to our criminal justice system that we've been chipping away at people's rights slowly, particularly their Miranda rights, and I would like to see that reversed. I also have a big problem with um, the composition of the court. Like, it's just, it's not, and I don't mean diverse as far as minorities and gender. I mean, it's just not diverse as backgrounds. I, I, I forgot the current makeup. It's like, everyone is a Protestant, right? And they all went to like three schools. I'm pretty sure that's right. Is that right? Do you, do you find any of that in your primary research? Oh, you know what? I didn't look at where they went to school. I'm pretty sure they're all Protestants. No, wait. Okay. No, I think they are. I think they're all Protestants, and they all went to, like, three schools. And that really bothers me. Um, I the reason Part of the reason I like Earl Warren is because he wasn't a judge. He was a politician. Like, I like the idea of mixing it up. Have some people on there that aren't just, you know, Ivy-educated legal elites even if they have different you know constitutional interpretations like it just bothers me I think that like I said if you get homogeneous people around the table you get homogeneous solutions and I think it would be nice to have people with more um, diverse educational backgrounds so without really disagreeing with anything that you just said like I just would rather can't we fix Miranda Wright's issues in Congress? Like, shouldn't we? Well, no, be because they were created our... by the Supreme Court, though, right? I mean, something they create—they need—they need to be the ones that interpret it, don't you think? I think Congress could go back though and and do a criminal justice overhaul, which they should do anyway for lots of reasons, and then see what the court does. I mean, that's the problem. I feel like we defer to the court on everything. I agree with you about the point on diversity in the court. I do think we need legal scholars on the court, though, to understand, like, what the impact of these decisions will be. I want a more diverse Congress and people with more, I don't know. I mean, it just, again, it just feels to me like the court is so important right now in a way that it, that becomes more and more important every cycle because we rely on the court to fix everything. Everything that is screwed up, we say, well, hopefully the Supreme Court can fix it. Okay, this is funny. I got it the opposite. There are no Protestants on the Supreme Court. There oh, are six. And I knew that because in my head I was like, wait, I don't know, Elena Kagan is Jewish. But anyway, okay, so it's six Roman Catholics, Alito, Kennedy, Robert, Scalia. Well, now five Roman Catholics. Sotomayor and Clarence Thomas. And three Jews, Stephen Breyer, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Elena Kagan. So zero Protestants. Hmm. I mean, that that's crazy to me. Well, and I'm sure there are people who think, like, there should be an atheist on the Supreme Court. Because if the court's looking at issues, I mean, and that's not wrong. It's just, gosh, why do all these issues have to be decided by the court? And I know, again, I'm living in, like, a fantasy world where Congress is functioning correctly. But I would love to someday live in that world. The other thing I worry about, and here's my only... Oh, and there are three schools. Harvard, Yale, and Columbia. Five went to Harvard, three went to Yale, one went to Columbia. Here's my only pushback to what you said about the Constitution as a living document. It's not that I think the founders are infallible or something. I do think it's a pretty well done document for the most part. There are obviously glaring um, exceptions to that. 
I just worry about the day when I get a court that completely disagrees with my view of that and public sentiment maybe like so we had with Roe versus Wade this groundbreaking decision that was ahead of where the public is right so there are some pros and cons of that and I would argue that the pro of it is I agree with the decision I do not think it's the government's business to decide whether a woman carries a baby to term and delivers the baby okay the con is that we have had since Roe versus Wade a fever-pitched backlash to those reproductive rights and a constant effort to undermine them. Whereas one might wonder if that had come about through legislative change, would we have had more public support? I don't know. So just taking that as an example, I think about a Donald Trump presidency. If Donald Trump wins this election, that is going to give you and me and lots of other people a lot of messages about the America we think we're living in, right? That Will that not turn on its head a lot of what you think about America? Similar to what you were just saying about how people feel about misogyny. Like, eh, not that big of a deal. Like, there are going to be a lot of messages if Donald Trump is elected. I mean, Donald Trump is not going to be elected. I'm trying to go with you on this thought experiment. It's just hard for me. Well, so go with me a little bit. So let's say Donald Trump appoints his justices and we have this crazy composition of a court now. And and a court that's dominated not really by conservatives, but by, like, anti-establishment populists. Let's just say that that happens. Okay. And now that court says, I'm going to interpret the Constitution as a living document. And you can just go for days in thinking what that could look like, right? We used to think this is important. Now we don't. Think of that in the context of our treaties. I mean, there are just so many outcomes of that that get really scary really fast. And that's why I I tend to kind of hold it close. Not, I'm not an original intent kind of girl, but I hold it really close because what happens when I don't agree with where it's going? That's all I worry about. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, 
has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I guess, you know what, it's funny, it's, you and I always approach these philosophical debates so differently, because this is totally, my, not to be like cuckoo personality test, but this is my Enneagram 1 coming out real hard, because to me, I decide in my head what I believe is the, whatever word you want to use, right, intended, ethical, correct, whatever interpretation and approach and then I'm sticking with it I'm sticking with it even if the results aren't what I want so I'm not going to shift it think on on, based on sort of like a well what if somebody else did it this way I because truthfully I think that Scalia and those people haven't I mean they do push it they are quote-unquote judicial activists and they do sort of make it a living document when it suits them so I know what that's like you know what I mean like it reminds me a lot of the Baker v. Carr episode of More Perfect. And Baker v. Carr, the decision was basically sort of political questions. The Supreme Court's not supposed to answer political questions. They're supposed to be above politics. And this decision with Baker v. Carr, which was about the one person, one vote, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Am I getting that right? I blocked my legal education. Anyway. Um, I believe that was the, the issue. And there was this, I mean, like one of the justices had like a nervous breakdown because it was, they felt like so much was at stake. If they took this question, then that meant other political questions were going to be open to them. They ended up deciding, they took the case, they went forward, dude had a breakdown. Other dude who didn't want them to decide that way had a breakdown. <laughs> but anyway, at the end of the co- at the podcast, they say, well, truthfully, Baker v. Carr gave us Bush v. Gore. And all these liberal justices who desperately wanted to answer the political question to solidify people's right to vote under the one-person, one-vote got George Bush. And he, the law professor was like, I teach that in my class. I say, look, this is, you know, when we opened up to political question, 
we protect a lot of people's rights, but we also get Bush v. Gore. And one of the students was like, well, it was worth it. Like, this is the correct interpretation, and if that's what happened, that's what happened. And that's sort of how I feel. Yeah, some people might get in tr- into um, trouble, or, you know, some people might get into power and make decisions I don't agree with, but I'm not, I, I don't support that judicial interpretation because it gets me what I want policy-wise. I support it because I believe it's correct, because I believe it's the proper way to interpret the Constitution. I think it's the best way, even when people in, are in charge that I don't like, even if Donald Trump got him president. Like, to me, I don't play, well, what if, does that change? I, I guess we're just playing it different ways. You're saying, well, what if that happens? Does it change my position? I do, too. I just, it doesn't. I think that, too. I think about, well, what if somebody else got in charge? I sort of feel the same way about executive orders. President Donald Trump. I I think I still feel the same way about executive orders. So that's just where you and I, it's, it's funny though. I feel like that philosophical debate comes up a lot and we just feel differently about that. Yeah, we do. Cause for me, the process is always the protection because the less someone is deciding what's correct, the more comfortable I am because that makes me feel like I get to decide for me and my family what's correct. And I think that's just maybe the defining issue that makes you liberal and me conservative. Yeah, because I'm always that that's so interesting that you put it that way, because for me, I'm not I'm not thinking this sounds bad. I'm not thinking about my family because I have the sense that, like, because my family and our privilege and because we have resources, we'll be fine. I'm thinking about the families that can't like don't have the ability to decide and protect themselves and need help and need resources and need or have rights that, you know, gay families like yeah, I, those laws don't affect me, but they need help. So it's so funny. Like, I don't ever think, like, well, I want to be the one that's in charge of my family. I'm thinking about the people, like, whose families really need the protection. Does that make sense? It does. But I mean, when you I, think about those families, too, too. I, I, I do think about those families. And when I hear that, what I hear is there are certain, and I know you don't mean it this way, but, like, this is what's in my brain about that. When I hear that, I think someone might be, disadvantaged in a way that I am not, but that doesn't mean that I know better than them. And I don't want to protect them in a way that's ultimately condescending to them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think it's just, I think that's our fault line, you know, and thank goodness we have it because we would have rather boring conversations if we didn't, I think. And because, um, it's important to have both sides at the debate. This was also a discouraging conversation I had where someone told me on, I was having a conversation on Facebook and the person I said, you know, I care about these things. I care about the national debt. I worry about, um, foreign attacks. I worry about the cost of healthcare. And the person responded, well, how is that? I'm not even going down the liberal vortex with you. How is that even possible? Because liberals are exactly responsible for all those problems. So how could you care about them? And I'm like, (laughs) really? That's harsh. Really? I can't care about the problems facing our country because liberals are solely and completely responsible for all of them. Truly, that's how you feel. Like, that is depressing. It is. And, and, you know, I get private messages from... (laughs) a handful of Republicans who listen to us <laughs> often saying like, I'm so worn out with being painted with a broad brush to, I mean, we just like, we're all doing it and it's exhausting. And I'm just, again, 
can we just get past November and talk about more interesting stuff eventually because <laughs> this is awful and hopefully we'll survive it somehow. We will. We will survive it. I am I am very much on the we will survive it either way wagon because, again, I believe in our process and I believe that if we have the horrible outcome in my judgment of a Trump presidency, I believe that our process will protect us, but I do not think that we'll have that outcome. Okay, let's just move on ha. to the heels. So, Sarah, we sort of um, jumped the gun on what we were going to talk about in the heels, which is like taking care of yourself during the election. I have some. I, I mean, I was just I was just bemoaning my state. I didn't talk about actual self-care. OK, have at it. Um, I watched Ali Wong's Baby Cobra comedy stand up on Netflix as self-care last night. People stop what you're doing. Take your butt to a television and or computer screen or your phone while you're at work. I don't really care. And watch this thing. I laughed so hard. I cried all my mascara off. And then I got like a laugh headache. So funny. (laughs) I love a good laugh headache. Oh, she writes for um, Fresh Off the Boat, the AB. I think it's on ABC. And now she's on that American Housewife show. But, oh, my God, she just had like so such... Like, I really, really like, like, sort of, you know, I like Amy Schumer. I'm sort of over her now. But, like, I really like female comedians who push the envelope of what is acceptable for female comedians to joke about. Um, One, because I think it's important. And two, because if they're capable of doing that in a smart way that's funny, like, they're the best of the best. And this woman jokes about everything. She jokes about her miscarriage. She jokes about every gross bodily function and sex and oh my god she's so funny and so smart she does this whole rift on lean in and how she and feminism is the worst she doesn't want to lean in she wants to lay down and it's just so funny oh oh i cannot highly i cannot recommend it highly enough i really can't nicholas wanted to watch 13th the i think it's called 13 or 13th have you heard about this maybe mm-hmm it's a documentary on Netflix about um, the 13th Amendment, and, um, oh, it's supposed to be really intense and really good. And I just told him, I was like, I can't. And you know how I feel about documentaries and learning things, but I was like, I, I can't do it tonight. I, I'm emotionally incapable of, like, a tough America's Broken documentary. Like, I just can't do it. So I watched this instead, and that was the right call. I guess my self-care for this weekend has been that I've been a little slower to respond on Twitter than I usually am because I just find myself feeling really drained, even though I super love the people who engage with us on Twitter and a little behind-the-scenes pantsy politics. Usually on Facebook, you're getting Sarah, and on Twitter, you're getting me. And um, so I, I love our community there. I just have needed a little bit of space. And also, we've just been kind of busy around my house. Chad and I did start watching uh, the new Ghostbusters movie in bed last night. We only made it through about 45 minutes or so, <gasps> but I enjoyed it. And we'll finish did you it. Fall, did you fall asleep? Oh, yeah. I mean, I was exhausted. And honestly, 45 minutes is kind of my threshold. Like, I'm not interested in really watching an entire movie very often. Oh, but um, that one's so good. But it was good. I mean, well, you know what I liked the best other than just that I could stare at Kate McKinnon all the time because I think she's so smart and so funny 
the Channing Tatum, is that right? The male receptionist who's so ditzy. No, no, no. No, Beth. Is it not Channing Ugh. Tatum? Who is that? No. Uh, Channing Tatum is Magic Mike, feminist hero. Oh, yeah. The, who I adore. Also known as Charming Potato. Except I don't call him any of that because he is clearly very smart and way more than a potato. But, um, no, that is, um, oh, shoot. Does, doesn't he date Miley Cyrus and or his brother does? Um, I don't know. He has a Thor. Great he was Thor. Thor. He was. That's right. He was Thor. So who's that guy? I don't know. Okay, I'm good. This is how much I don't care about Chris Hemsworth. Yes, Chris Hemsworth. I just Liam feel Hemsworth. Like that's his brother. It is manna from heaven to me to see a ditzy male receptionist. Oh, I love in a it. Movie. It's the best like, thing ever. It was genius. I thought that was the most brilliant part of the whole thing. It, it, it's good. Did you it's get funny. to the? Did you get to the the first time when they confront the guy in the basement? Spoiler alert. Uh, yeah, I think so. Oh, I, think I love that's it when about he's like, I started to drift off. That's my favorite when he's like, no one takes me seriously and everyone makes fun of me and you don't know what that's like. And they're like, what are you talking about? That's how everyone treats us all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I love Melissa McCarthy. I mean, the whole, the whole ensemble is a great ensemble. So that was my self-care, I suppose, for the weekend. But I mean, elections are hard. The emails that we get that are critical, the iTunes review that called me self-righteous really has me like all in knots and very paranoid now about how I sound. And I think everything just gets closer to home, you know, as we get closer to November and it'll be over soon. It will. It will. It's so close. Like 23. I had my first debate too, by the way. How did that go? It went really well. I was very happy with it and I was very happy with how the, um, paper wrote up the debate <laughs> i mentioned how many doors i walked on like a lot to the point where the other candidates were sort of cracking jokes like well i don't knock as many doors as sarah but it worked because the paper wrote about how many doors i knocked on thanks there you go. <laughs> work in the press so just to close out on a positive note by the way since we talked we opened talk talking about the um firebombing at the north carolina republican party headquarters one of my friends just posted that the um i don't know who democrats Democrats helped reopen a North Carolina Republican office, and they raised $13,167 in four hours, and they've already met their $10,000 goal. That's awesome. On GoFundMe. So that's awesome. God bless you, uh, whoever you are. I went to contribute money, but it was already closed out. So there's a little bit of positivity and nuance and bipartisanship to end our show. I love it. Well, please continue those good vibes on our Twitter and Facebook pages. We really do value everybody's insights, and we try to read every article that someone sends us and comment as quickly as we can. We will be back with you on Friday for another episode. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Bye.